Chapter 4 Zero Fucks Great spirits have always encountered violent opposition from mediocre minds. Albert Einstein What I like best about skateboarding, aside from it being the athletic outlet that I needed, was that it was a sport with no rules. So not only was it great for me physically and mentally, but there was also an outlaw status that came with it. It felt right, and I loved it. I was all about doing what felt good to me, especially if it meant going against the grain. Along with this lifestyle, of course, came the partying. I was never completely out of control, but I did experiment with all sorts of things. I never felt bad about that, and still don't, as I had always thought that the meaning of life is to have as much fun as possible. And that's what was fun to me at the time. I was all about rebelling against the norm, and partying was just another way to do that. If I had a motto in those days, it would have been, zero fucks given. I think that both a healthy dose of rebellion and a zero fucks attitude can be helpful on the path to success, so remember them, my friend. As one might expect, though, my grades began to go down the shitter. And truth be told, I barely graduated high school, squeaking by on the last day with a D- in history. I would rather have been locked in an overflowing outhouse at a month-long Grateful Dead festival than to go to high school, but I did graduate. And I would want any child of mine to at least do the same. I've learned that high school is actually a great preparation tool for life because the adult world is overpopulated with fakes and phonies, and the sooner you learn to figure that out and how to navigate through them, the better. Hopefully you've learned how to choose your friends based on their level of integrity rather than by their popularity. Moving out. At 19, I decided that it was time to finally leave my hometown of Livermore. This place was holding me back, and in 1989, I moved to Santa Cruz, just in time for the Loma Prieta earthquake. It was a massive earthquake, and the damage it did to the Santa Cruz area in particular was pretty devastating. It forever changed the landscape. It looked more like a war zone than the peace-loving beach town it was, but it didn't scare me away. I decided to stick it out and make the best of it. I, for one, wanted to stay because it meant that I was finally free to be who I really was, without the judgments of others, and to truly make something of myself. Not that I knew how I was going to do that, but that didn't matter. The feeling of freedom trumped all. I believe that what you value most, in my case freedom, will dictate how you live your life and what success will ultimately look like for you. Choose wisely. The earthquake didn't keep me from partying either and to support this lifestyle, I took a job with a landscaping company. I had worked for my Uncle Abe's landscape company for several years back in Livermore and learned a lot from him about the importance of a good work ethic and the most efficient way to dig a hole. I rented a room from a couple of musicians who awarded it to me over several other applicants because I owned a guitar, thanks anxiety, and I agreed to smoke pot with them at the initial roommate interview. I was still adamantly against doing things the traditional way, including periodically showering, and as a result, I grew dreadlocks and wore the same clothes for days at a time. One day when I was skateboarding, I met Eric, and he changed the trajectory of my life with one simple question. You want to go ride with us this weekend? Snowboarding, he told me, was a natural progression from skateboarding and a hell of a lot more fun. He and his girlfriend went up to the mountains, Dodge Ridge or Big Bear, to board all the time. Accepting this invitation, I did go up with him, and then went again and again. Before I knew it, I was hooked. Snowboarding was the greatest sport I'd ever tried. For one, it was way faster than skateboarding and felt more badass. And since snow was usually more forgiving when you crashed, which was a lot, it meant you could take even bigger, crazier chances. 
It was perfect for a thrill-seeker like me, and I was immediately addicted. It also had an even stronger counterculture surrounding it than skateboarding. In 1990, it wasn't widely accepted or permitted at many ski resorts, and skiers and snowboarders often had heated exchanges on the mountain. I had found my calling. Soon, I wanted to ride every day, and nothing was going to stop me. I was so obsessed that my visits to my mother, who had moved to Lake Tahoe by then, became more like visits to the mountains. It helped that my brother worked up at Heavenly, the ski resort right there on the lake, and could sneak me on for free wearing one of his Heavenly employee jackets. Like its name, that resort was truly a paradise for me. I was there practically all day, every day, and although I didn't see my mother much during the day, at least she always knew where to find me. And one day she had to. I vividly remember riding the ski chairlift one afternoon and being shocked to find my name on the chalkboard at the top of the lift. The message read, Christopher Patrick, call ski patrol ASAP. I did, and they connected me with my mom. She had news that made my blood run cold. Dad was in a coma. Goodbye, hello. Shocked and devastated, my mom, my brothers and I all piled into the car and headed back to Livermore where Dad lay in ICU on life support. He had had a brain aneurysm, his second. Day after day, we would all gather around his bedside, hoping for improvement, hoping for hope. Since we no longer lived in Livermore, my Uncle Abe and Aunt Kay's bar became our home base. At the time, they owned and ran the Livermore Saloon, a bar that's at least 100 years old by now. If you assumed by its old western name that it had a bit of a cowboy vibe, you'd be right. Livermore was kinda country back then, and the bar was a staple in the area. With its solid wood bar, 20-foot ceilings, and olive green walls, not to mention its stocked shelves, it was a comforting place to return to after visiting with Dad in the hospital day after day and finding his condition unchanged. The saloon had been one of Dad's favorite hangouts as well, his go-to for Baileys and coffee. Plus, it was a great place to blow off steam, get a drink, and play some pool. I know because that's exactly what I did. And even though I lost every game I ever played against Uncle Abe over the years, he was an amazing pool player. I learned a hell of a lot. Getting your ass kicked, as it turns out, makes you better. Another pastime at the saloon was karaoke, Uncle Abe's favorite hobby. My punk band past made me more of a screamer than a singer, and I couldn't carry a tune if it had a handle on it, so I wasn't up for singing karaoke when I actually wanted to scream with anxiety. That is, until I saw Leilani. You couldn't help but notice Leilani. She was a pretty, tall, and athletic-looking blonde with a great smile. But what really made me notice her was the independent trucks hoodie she was wearing. Yes, folks, it indeed pays to advertise. For those of you who don't know, Independent Trucks is a company that makes skateboard parts, the trucks being the metal pieces that hold the wheels onto the board. Instantly drawn to her, I began chatting her up and found out a few things. Like, even though she looked barely old enough to drink legally, she was actually a year older than me. Also, she was from Breckenridge, Colorado, which from what she said sounded really cool. It was a town in the middle of the Rocky Mountains with a local population of about 2,000 that was big into snowboarding and skiing. Even though she loved that scene because she was all about boarding too, she'd ended up coming back to Livermore to visit with her dad and try to figure out what to do with her life. We ended up playing pool and drinking together until closing time and then spent every day in each other's company after that. Meeting Leilani could not have come at a better time in my life. 
I was amazed and grateful to be able to experience the happiness and support of a first love at the same time that I was going through such sadness, anxiety, and grief. It was a paradoxical time of both incredible joy and immense sorrow, because after consulting with doctors and with one another, my family and I had to make the incredibly difficult decision to pull the plug and let Dad go. Turns out the universe didn't feel that would be necessary, and Dad passed away that night on his own. After Dad's funeral, we all went back to the bar to celebrate his life, remember the good times, and sing karaoke in his honor. To this day, we still pay Dad homage by having Baileys and coffee at Christmas. It was devastating. I was 21. I had never experienced the loss of a loved one that close to me before, and the shock of that loss caused a shift in my way of thinking and changed my perspective forever. After that, nothing ever seemed to be as big a deal as it used to. Numbed by Dad's death, I began operating from a new emotional baseline, never letting myself get too up or too down. In contrast to Dad's death, everything else seemed to pale in comparison and didn't seem worthy of eliciting a strong response from me in either direction. Except Leilani. She was the source of my happiness, the shining light in my tunnel of darkness, like the sun persevering through a rain shower. I strongly believe that things, both good and bad, happen for a reason. That's why I don't reject the bad events that have happened in my past. I know they weren't enjoyable when I was experiencing them, and I'm sure many of you reading this would prefer that the difficult and traumatic experiences in your life never happened. I get it. However, I have found, and one of the main purposes of this book is to help you to see, that we should find ways to use what we learn from those times for our greatest benefit. Suck them dry for everything they've got. Turn the bad into good. Meeting Leilani was the silver lining on the massive black cloud of my father's death. It wasn't like he left me Leilani in his will or anything like that. He did leave me something, as you'll read in the next chapter, but his exit and her entrance were connected as if by divine will. And I accept this connection as a gift from the universe that helped me to get through one of the worst times in my life and helped to point me in the direction I next needed to go to continue my journey. And that direction was Lake Tahoe. Leilani and I moved there and moved in with Mom for the summer of 1991. I worked grounds maintenance for a hotel. Leilani took a job as a cigarette girl at a casino. We knew we wanted to snowboard full-time, and we had thought Lake Tahoe would be where we could do that. But because the price of a season pass in Tahoe was very expensive compared to Breckenridge, where Leilani had connections, we packed my 1975 El Camino with all our worldly possessions and our dog Indy and headed to the Rockies. Talk about independence and fresh starts. Leaving the state of California for the first time to begin a new life with Leilani was pivotal and exciting. Not that I had any idea what I would do for work or money, but I truly did not care. I had my snowboard, my El Camino, my dog Indy, and my first love with me, so everything would be all right. What about you? So what exactly does it mean to give zero fucks? It doesn't mean you shouldn't give a shit about other people, or that it's okay to hurt them. Treating people like shit isn't badass or cool, it's just fucked up. On the other hand, treating other people right will always be right. So let's not waste each other's time pretending otherwise. What a zero fucks attitude does mean is that you don't give a shit about other people's opinions about what you feel, what you think, what you love. Do what you want. Life is too short to do anything else. You don't want to have any regrets on your deathbed, that much I do know. 
As long as you haven't been a dick to other people and you did what you wanted with your life and not what other people told you to do, you can die happy. In fact, it is my belief that the closer you live to who you authentically are and give zero fucks about people telling you who you should date or what music you should like or what jobs you should take, the greater your chances are of not just succeeding, but succeeding beyond your wildest dreams. Take the examples of the famous artists Henry Matisse and Pablo Picasso. Their paintings have become so famous that their names are practically synonymous with the word artist. Because over time their works have become so commonplace, it can be hard to remember that back in their day they were rebellious to the point that at times they were rejected and reviled. But even though they both had very different styles and opinions about art, they shared the same recipe for success. They gave zero fucks and did what they wanted to do. They believed in themselves and their own abilities, and they were unapologetic about who they were. They did not let the fear of public opinion censure or stop them. When the world mocked them, they continued painting. Wives left them, the media smeared them, and other artists sneered at them. Still, they painted on. And they kept it up until the world gave up and bowed before them, showering them with money and fame. That's the way to give zero fucks with style. So what about you? What dream job or career path have you had that you haven't pursued due to fear and the discouragement of others? What are some of the discouraging messages that you have received from other people? Example, you aren't smart or good enough. That's stupid. You can't. That's not how we do things. You'll never, etc. Now go back and read those messages one at a time. But after each one, either aloud or in writing, answer back with something like, I don't give a fuck. Mean it.